This is Standard Definition, the retro nostalgia podcast here on the Boss Rush Network, where each and every Monday we come together with our friends around the internet to talk about games, movies, shows, and other topics that make us nostalgic, which apparently everyone is nostalgic for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, I'm your host for the classic animated Disney branch of Standard Definition, and we can't have a nostalgia podcast without recording episodes covering Disney. Um, the particular movies we'll be covering will be in release order, starting from Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, all the way to Princess and the Frog in 2009. I'm joined by my always fabulous co-host, Corey Derrick. Hello. I am muting myself for a while because my child is screaming, but I want to say hello. And that's the most painful smile I've ever seen. And Mark Pereira. Hi. Welcome back. It's it's been a while, but I know we've all had you know pretty busy schedules, but that's fine. It gave me time to actually catch up and watch some movies. So hopefully you're all doing okay, having a good summer. Yeah, summer's over, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> oh my Same. gosh, me too. It's the first summer where I've had. I mean, I, so I have three kids. I have one more coming at the end of September. But so, and my oldest, I have five-year-old twins. But so obviously I've had five summers with twins, but this is the first summer I've had after them being in school. And so that, that sweet taste of freedom while they're in school. Um, and so this summer was really hard. My wife is a nurse. And so she works two days a week and I work from home. So just juggling childcare and summer was difficult, but I feel that pain because, uh, I mean, not that I have the exact same pain. I don't have twins, bless you. Um, but my son, this past school year was the first year he's been to an actual school. And this would be my first summer of him just having nothing to do. Um, right. And with limited funds, I got him into some camps, but not all summer. And I'm like, I love him. If he ever listens to this, just know I love you. But damn, I cannot wait for school. Yeah. Well, and my kids just, and me too, we thrive under a schedule. And so it, we didn't have a schedule this summer. And so it was really hard for all of yep. us. But they're in school. Today was day two. And so we're doing good. Yay. See, Mark's smiling. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. one of us is. <laughs> all right. I will... <laughs> Corey has a crazy laugh. I'm just going to keep talking. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. We also thrive under a schedule and schools, we're starting school soon, but like we were off schedule last week. That's why I think my son is kind of crying. That plus like, as you can hear, I'm sorry, that everybody. Perfect. That was perfect, perfect timing. Time. Yeah. Uh, could not have planned that <laughs> yeah. So uh, he also has some teeth coming in. So uh, that's also kind of what's going on. So, yeah, good times. Well, you know, I think that's fitting, you know, um, kids and Disney. I don't know where I'm going with this, so I'm just going to go with the script. Do you like what you hear? You can support us and get the show two weeks early by heading over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Boss Rush Network, or subscribe on free feeds. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. Or just any review, but hopefully it's a five-star review. It does help with discoverability. Um, you can catch all of our content on YouTube uh, and on BossRush.net. Um, I don't know if uh, you have the list of our uh, Patreon producers, Corey, that we can um, shout out. I sure do. Let me tell you. So you can support at the $1 tier and get early access. But then you can support us at the $5 tier, which grants you early access plus a Patreon producer tier. So, without further ado, our Patreon producers for this episode of Standard Definition are Adriel Munger, Celeste Roberts, my wife, Sana Dierig, Francisco Santillan, and Rebecca Jewell. I want to thank all of our patrons, all of our Patreon producers, and all of our free listeners. And like Stephanie said, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. If you don't. Corey's son's just gonna scream and won't stop screaming in the background and you don't want that i'm telling Corey you he did it for that. three hours last night we had to delay the recording of pow block until like 11 Oof. 
but I'm not going to do that to you guys because everybody has schedules and Ed does not. So <laughs> hold on. I think magic just happened. Don't jinx it. Disney magic just happened. Whoa. You hear that? Silence. Yeah. All right. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Sorry, no, everybody. Sorry. We are. I, I know a lot of parents listen to this show and feel the pain. And I'm going to keep myself muted as much as possible. Uh, unless I need to say something, which is usually frequent. But yeah. It's all right. Uh, I've been there. Um, one last uh, housekeeping item, I guess, if you want to call it housekeeping. We uh, also have a merch store that you can click on the link. Uh, it'll take you there from our website, bossrush.net. Uh, lots of wonderful designs and logos of all of the podcasts in our network, including Standard Definition. And, it, you know, there's various designs like, um, well, said Mario, Marvel Universe, Disney, and the Disney font that we somehow managed to be able to design. So check it out. I have a couple myself. Now. With all that said and done, we are now on the Standard Def Disney Edition Part 10, I believe. And we are talking about Sleeping Beauty. Woo! So, Sleeping Beauty. I know Corey's excited. So, why don't you start off and give us kind of like a one-liner pitch about what Sleeping Beauty is, Corey? Uh, princess gets cursed. Fairies save princess. Princess pricks finger sleeps for a while prince fights witch who turns into dragon kisses princess who's sleeping get married the end that's a run-on sentence that's you're fine. disqualified that's fine uh i i mean i really i really like this movie i think it's it's i mean i think maybe i'm a little biased because aurora is my daughter's favorite princess uh and I don't know. I really like this movie. I like the kings and their interaction. The 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 fat king kind of reminds me of the <laughs> king from Cinderella a little bit. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, even down to like the design and everything. Uh, but also one of the most iconic Disney villains of all time is mm-hmm. Maleficent. Like I think when I think of Disney villains, she's either the first or within the first three villains I think of constantly when you think of these classic animated villains. And, you know, even it goes so far to where like Disney has kind of made her canonically the leader of the Disney villains, even in like the theme parks and kingdom hearts, the video game series. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, just throughout all of the mixed Disney media stuff, she's like, the villain of all villains, you know, and it's just when you think of it, when you think of Maleficent, you think of that, you know, the black horns and the gr- the deep green color that she is. And when she turns into the dragon, like the vibrant purple st- stripes and stomach, and it's just so iconic, you know, and it's just I, I don't know. I really like this movie, not just because of the not just because of Maleficent, but like I just really like the movie. No, that's a really good point. And just shout out to Josh Martinez, who said, um, well, well, we are also recording later 101 Dalmatians. And he mentioned that the two villains in the movies that we're going to record tonight are some of the most Disney's most iconic. And we'll talk about it later. But he was kind of asking about what makes them impactful and lasting over the years. And I think we did discuss if we were going to do a villain power ranking. So uh, we'll let that marinate. But for now, Mark, uh, I don't know if you can really top Corey's uh, one-liner summary of what Sleeping Beauty is. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a movie about a, a, a princess who falls asleep and and wakes up with true love's kiss. Is a really bad <laughs> summary of it, but sounds really um, familiar. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, yeah, this is a pretty tried and true trope for um, Disney, but um, yeah, I, I I liked the movie. I it's very pretty. The movie's very pretty. The animation is very pretty. The music is very pretty. Aurora is very pretty. Like everything about it is very pretty. But um, 
man, I thought this when I was a kid and I thought this when I watched it again. It is kind of a boring movie. And sorry if that's a if that's kind of a, a hot take, but um You just upset my daughter very much. Yes, I'm so sorry. But it <laughs> it is it is like just it's more like moving art, I feel like. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, like I really like um, Fantasia, but mm-hmm. Fantasia is not what I would consider like, you know, a, a, a gripping or like a, a really like, you know, immediately watchable movie, right? It's more of an experience. And I feel that same way about Sleeping Beauty. It's not, it's just really oddly paced and just kind of just like a piece of moving art, I feel like. Very interesting that you say that because I did not have it just in my personal mind, uh, Sleeping Beauty high up on my list of top Disney movies of all time. And then when I rewatched it, as like what we comment on um, as we record, you know, what movies have kind of maintained our expectations, exceeded or even kind of dove <laughs> below our expectations, right. I would say. Sleeping Beauty, I, I appreciated it and I actually enjoyed it more than I quote unquote remembered. But at the same time, I was kind of sitting there like, okay, I'm enjoying the music, um, the banter between the two kings, haha. Oh, Prince Philip has a sort of a personality than I remember. But then ultimately, yeah, if you look at the plot, it's it's very bare bones, traditional, and without any meat and potatoes in between, it actually doesn't make for a substantial storyline. So I didn't not enjoy it, but uh, there's just not a lot to it. Right. I'd agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so what really, I, I, I didn't update my notes, but what really is <laughs> Sleeping Beauty? So uh, the, this Disney film is its 16th animated film about a princess, shocker, who is cursed by Maleficent after being snubbed by the royal family when they threw a party to celebrate the princess's birth. The curse would then doom the princess on her 16th birthday, uh, or by her 16th birthday. With, uh, but with the help of three good fairies, they twist the curse to one that can be broken with the help of true, uh, one true love. It was released January 29th, uh, 1959. Its runtime was 75 minutes, and its budget, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but back then was um, the largest budget Disney had at that time, and that was $6 million. Box office, $51.6 million in U.S. and Canada. Um, I'll bring this up again when we talk about um, 101 Dalmatians because even though Sleeping Beauty had good reviews for the most part, um, there were actually there it was considered a big financial loss. I believe it's because of that high production um, costs associated with it and the underperformance of a lot of Disney's movies around 1959, 1960. Um, there were a lot of layoffs in the animation department. Mm-hmm. So not a terrible movie. It didn't perform awful, but there, there was a financial struggle with that. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, reported uh, that the film received an 89% based off of 46 reviews with an approval rating of 8.2 out of 10. Hmm. Yeah, uh, just some fun facts I pulled. Uh, this is based off of Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty from 1697. Ooh. Um, Yep, it's one of many iterations, as as you, we know that Disney's movies are, you know, inspired by. Uh, when I read the plot for this Peralt version, it's pretty similar. Like, not much has changed. I think one of the big changes between this, like, Charles Peralt's story um, took place where a hundred years passed when Sleeping Beauty fell asleep oh. and when she was found again. But for sake of pacing, it was like... I don't know. Not very long. Um, like a day almost. I, uh, let me a see. long nap. A long nap, exactly. A you nap think if you sleep for a hundred years, you wake up tired still? I, I think if, I think so because if you like, especially as a parent, like if you get a good night's sleep, like you somehow wake up more tired than if you got a mediocre night's sleep. Or at least I found. Yep. Yeah, it's a curse. Um, 
Sleeping Beauty was the first animated film to be photographed photographed in the Super Technorama 70 widescreen process, as well as the second full-length animated feature film to be filmed in an anamorphic widescreen following Lady and the Tramp. That was four years earlier. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know too much about that kind of technology and how film is developed over time, but I'm trying to incorporate more stuff like this in our podcast. Um, have you noticed um, its art direction, Mark, um, when you watch well, Sleeping Beauty? It's interesting that it, 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 you cite Lady and the Tramp because I wouldn't call Lady and the Tramp a technical marvel in the sense of animation or, or camera work or anything like that, but like I said before, I think Sleeping Beauty is a very beautiful film. I think it's one of Disney's most beautiful films. And I think that comes down to the camera work and the art direction and the, how it was shot and drawn. And, and you know, um, so that's that's interesting because I would not I would not cite Lady in the Tramp yep. as a as a technological sister film to this one. Yeah, me, me neither. But uh, what. Sleeping Beauty did get in 2019 was a selection for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, uh, citing it as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, Part of the story elements were discarded ideas from Snow White and Cinderella. That's another interesting thought. It's, it's, uh, you know, kind of makes me sad that they used kind of old, chucked, chucked out, recycled ideas, but I don't know, I guess it worked out in their favor. Um, as far as awards, Maleficent was nominated, a nominated villain in 2003, American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains. Sleeping Beauty was nominated for Best Scoring of a Musical Picture in the, for the Academy Awards, and they, it was nominated for Best Soundtrack Album for the Grammys. So, I know that was a lot, but... Uh, you know, it just go, you know, goes to show how strong this movie was. But now oh. it's t- time for trivia. Ready, guys? Ooh, trivia. Born right. ready. <laughs> this is going to be, I don't know, I feel like this is going to be an easy one. The cookies that the fairies eat with their tea are shaped like what? A, castles, B, roses, C, Mickey Mouse, or D, spinning wheels? I would say roses because her name is Briar Rose. Mickey Mouse. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, no. Mickey Mouse. No. That was the cameo. Mm. That's what they like to do. Well, I messed up. I should have been keeping track who wins trivia. Well, Probably you can always Mark. go so, back. I'm so cool. I know so much Disney trivia. How I know. Cool <laughs> Mark knows all. I know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway. Mark studied. <laughs> um... Yeah, so now I kind of got all the boring factual stuff out of the way. Um, I'd like to just talk about the characters. Uh, up at, up front, I kind of have the, what do I say? This? I call them the side characters, King Stefan and Queen Leah, which are Princess Aurora's parents. And also King Hubert. He is Prince Philip's dad, which you do see him kind of bantering with King Stefan about their two kids getting married um, I don't know. They just seem like your typical royal family parents uh, with, I don't know, not too much depth. So I don't know if you guys would have much to add about their characters. What? Else? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say just the uh, they just the, the one is like super stoic and like kind of more what you would think of as a king and then the the other one is clearly just like a comic relief it feels like yeah you know so i i feel like so i watched the the live action maleficent um i actually i didn't watch the last 30 minutes because i ran out of time on my rental um i didn't want to pay another 3.99 for it because it's not on disney plus for some reason sleeping Um, beauty Maleficent. No, Mal- Maleficent. Oh, Maleficent. Oh, Maleficent is okay. the second one is on yeah. Disney Plus, but the first one isn't. Anyway, oh. um, so I kind of feel like with Disney's live action reinterpretations of their movies, if you kind of squint your eyes, they're kind of like canon, right? Like background canon for the stories of what's happening. They're not really. It doesn't really hold up. But there's a lot. There's 
Maleficent was an okay film. Angelina Jolie was really, really good. I mean, just good looking as Maleficent. Um, and and the scenes that they ripped straight from the, the movie are like perfect. Like, especially the scene, it's kind of like the centerpiece of the whole movie, but the scene where Maleficent curses Sleeping Beauty is like verbatim as it is in the in the film and Angelina Jolie's delivery is perfect. But anyway, um, in the live action movie, um, Angelina Jolie is a good fairy who falls in love with Stefan. And they have this whole romance and they are like together for a long time. And then he has the opportunity to become king. He's not an heir to the king. He's just a someone else. And there's an opportunity for him to become king. And so he kind of portrays her. And so that's why she curses Aurora. I say all of that because it's like really interesting how the characters all come together, how it kind of evolves is not really that interesting and they they try really hard to um give a little bit of justification to maleficent which i'm hopping all over the place but i feel like one of the reasons why maleficent is such an iconic villain and this goes to the next one we're recording for cruella deville is that they're just bad there's no redeeming quality for them they're just like she's just a evil witch who wants to curse a baby right there's no there's no justification for that. She's just bad to be bad. And I think that that's why she's so iconic. Um, and that's where the live action film kind of falters. But specifically to the question of the characters of King Stefan and his wife, it's really interesting that they um, gave that kind of background. And it really, it really informs the rest of the movie because there's now this like, you know, animosity between Basically, Maleficent is an ex-girlfriend of the mm-hmm. king. Uh, so anyway, I, I thought that was really interesting. But in the animated movie, um, they put in King Hubert, like definitely as like a, this movie has had too much romance and too much seriousness. Like, let's have some laughs. And so they definitely put him in as a comedic relief. I have a question but, for you, Mark. Yeah. When Maleficent was dating Stefan before he became king and Maleficent because I didn't see Maleficent. Did she have the horns then? She did. So it's weird. She had horns and she had giant wings that had like um, little claws, claws on, them. on the end of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so she looks really evil, but she's like they. The story is it's really pretty interesting. But the story is there's these two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of humans, and then there's like the kingdom of the magical creatures that are like warring kingdoms basically. And so Maleficent is the most powerful of the magical creatures. And then the, you know, the king and queen are the most powerful of the human creatures. And so there's a nice like juxtaposition and warring factions between the two, but she, it's, it's weird because she looks like a devil creature, right? She's got giant horns and she's very like intimidating looking. Um, but then on the other hand, it's also Angelina Jolie, so she's very beautiful. So there's like, it's it's, it's pretty strange. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I, I like getting to know that background. I think I will watch Maleficent at some point um, because you know when I you know I know she's very iconic, but when I rewatch this movie, I'm like, damn, she was just pissed off because she wasn't invited to this party. Like that's right, right. <laughs> that's pretty petty. And it's and it's interesting because. They, they do a good job of, especially when she's, like, cursing the baby. Like, she's doing it because that baby represents Aurora, represents what she could have had with the king, right? Mm-hmm. She, could have had, she could have had a marriage with the king. Could have, that could have been her baby, right? Um, and so her immediate reaction is, I'm going to curse the baby. And then the king's like, don't do that. And so she's the one who's like, okay. She's not going to die. She's going to fall into deep sleep and can only be revived by true love's kiss. Cause then there's this whole other plot that Stefan before he was King told her, you know, Hey, right before they kissed, like this is true love's kiss. And then he betrayed her. And so she's like, true love's kiss doesn't exist. So it was kind of oh. like saying, okay, there's this out, but the out doesn't really exist. It was kind of a dig towards the King. So they, they do some good stuff in setting up, in humanizing why she would do what she did. And then they kind of 
fumble the rest of the movie. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting movie, and I, I recommend watching it if you have three ninety nine to spare on the rental. Hmm. All right. Um, well, let's get uh, to the main, well, my, one of the main character, Princess Aurora or Briar Rose, which I believe Briar Rose is the translation of the main character in um, the original written adaptation, Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty. Um, her, her name was like in French for Briar Rose. Um, I don't I just think she's an absolute sweet, beautiful young princess. She also gets along really well with animals. Um, Not I love a Disney her movie without fun, loving animal sidekicks that you can dance with and <laughs> sing with. Exactly. I did find it interesting that she had stranger danger at first with uh, Prince Philip that she didn't know was Prince Philip at the time. And then just within a scene, she just is in love with the person that she was warned about stranger danger with. But that's not a dig at her. It's just a typical Disney movie trying to tell a whole story in under two hours. Um, Corey, tell me a bit more about uh, Princess Aura. Um, what did you, does your daughter find so fascinating about her? That I can't tell you. Uh, yeah. I think I think it's because like it was the first like so. Disney came out with these little baby dolls called animator dolls. And they're just like baby, like really intricate baby versions of the princesses. And then they made toddler versions later on. But like, I think it was just honestly that doll that made her really fall in love with Aurora. And every time she sees her, she gets really excited. And she loves the way that like her dress changes colors at the end. Right. And like, it's really cool because at Disney World, they actually <clears throat> she used to wear a pink dress because in this movie, I actually forgot that most of the time she's wearing the blue dress. Right. Mm -hmm. But at Disney at, in Disney parks, like she wear, she used to wear the pink dress to differentiate her from Cinderella because they look so much alike when you, you know, they they're both blonde. They both have blue dress, whatever. But. At Disney parks, they actually made a dress that changes color depending on what kind of light she's standing in, which is That's super cool. cool. Uh, and I actually forgot that she wore the blue dress in this movie <clears throat> uh, just because like uh, and all the iconography of her, like on coloring books and storybooks and dolls and toys and stuff. She's wearing the pink dress and you just think, oh, well, the pink dress is the iconic dress. But really, it's the blue one that changes colors because the fairies are fighting. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think she's just kind of really sweet and charming and the way she dances with the animals in the forest. And uh, I think the art style, like this, this movie has a very distinct art style. What was the last movie we did? Lady and the Tramp, I think was the last one. Uh, and Peter Pan and Peter Pan. And like that whole series, like, you look at like Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan, they are distinctly similar, right? Their mm -hmm. art styles are similar. And then like uh, Lady and the Tramps, just kind of like a different movie altogether because it's about it's animals, not people and whatever this, this, this movie has such a distinct art style from those movies that it makes it feel like a refresh almost for Disney. Mm -hmm. And I think the art style really makes her stand out versus like, Cinderella or Snow White or Wendy or Alice, right? And it's just, it really helps bring her to life, I think. And I, like Mark said earlier, this movie has a very appealing art style and it's like moving art. And I think that's why I like her in this movie so much. It's not that she's like really that different from yeah Snow White or anything, right? But like, I don't know. She just has a charm to her, and I think the art really brings it out. So. Yeah, I've been... I don't know if it's it's because I was a boy when I first watched a lot of these movies or what, but, like, I never really loved... I never really focused on the princess. I never really cared about the princess. I cared about the supporting characters and the prince and the villain and whatever. And what I've really, really enjoyed in this rewatch is that 
Well, so there's that. I never really paid attention to the princess. And two, there's been a lot of discourse over the years about how, especially a lot of the early Disney films are kind of sexist towards women, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, they're not the instigator of their own story and they're just kind of passively there. And, you know, she just wakes up to a kiss, a stranger kisses her and whatever and all that stuff, right? So there's, there's just all of this, there's like my impression as a young boy and then all this talk now about how the princesses aren't like realistic depictions of women but in this rewatch I've been so really drawn to how unique and and how much character there is in these female characters and I really really was drawn to Sleeping Beauty in this movie like her the, the the way she was animated and the way she interacted with with the animals and the fairies and she was just there was just so much personality to her and there was so much more interesting things to her and particularly in contrast to the princess because really if you look at it the early Disney movies like don't know what to do with the princess like they have like they're just there right um, and so I just I. I loved this character. I thought she was, I mean, she's absolutely beautiful. Her hair's really beautiful. She, um, just everything about her, I, I really enjoyed. Um, and I've been kind of really enjoying that in this rewatch. Like the, the princess is really rock and that's, yeah. it's been really cool to watch. Awesome. Um, well, we kind of hinted about them when we were talking about Princess Aura, but we got the three fairies, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Uh, three fairies, you know, with very distinct colors, pink, green, and blue. Um, one gifts a baby Aurora the, uh, beauty, one the gift of song, and Meriwether kind of comes in after Maleficent interrupts the party and curses Sleeping Beauty to die, so Meriwether kind of uses her blessing to kind of mitigate that curse of death and instead of death she will just be asleep um i love these ladies i love their bickering uh meriwether is my personal favorite i don't know about you guys she's the blue one right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah she's she's by far the best yeah she's definitely the best um i love when they're fighting in the kitchen and like Mm -hmm. they're it's trying to like make this cake and make this dress and they're arguing over what should be what. And it's just it, their interactions together are just, it's funny. They're definitely probably the best part of this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I'd agree with that. And she, they, I don't know if it's in the animated film or in the live action film, but she calls them her aunties mm-hmm. and, and there's so many qualities about all three that remind me of my aunts that are just like like they're just such great characters they're really good characters and they're they're so fun and like to me we've talked a lot about how in this rewatching of disney films like a lot of the the iconicness one is like not quite so much what we remembered it to be right like we remember dumbo being about an elephant flying with his ears yep. that's the last five minutes of the entire movie right yep yeah um but to me sleeping beauty has always been about that scene in the kitchen it has not been about the 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 scene in the kitchen and the dragon for sure but um but it's not been about sleeping beauty falling asleep it's been about make yep. it pink make it blue and her folding in the eggs and cracking the eggs and that that whole scene is just pitch perfect character development acting nonverbal acting design like everything about that scene is so good and and going back to the live action one it's like it's condensed down to one line and that is that's one of the main reasons why I didn't finish that film because to me the heart of the film is those fairies and they just totally ruined it for the live action movie um but I I absolutely love all three of those fairies I think they're some of the best characters that Disney has ever created yep agreed for sure 
Um, Maleficent. I mean, we kind of talked about her a little bit. I'm not sure if there's much to add. Um, guys, anything? Or we can just wrap it up with Prince Philip, which he's kind of your basic prince. Like, I got a little bit of his personality be- from rewatching it, but uh, I still feel like we're far away from any anything <laughs> really deep about the guy. No offense to Prince Philip. Well, yeah. I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. It's it's so interesting that the discourse throughout the years has been that, you know, Disney, like, doesn't know how to handle women and has been kind of sexist towards mm-hmm. women. But, like, if you really watch it, and again, I'm saying this as a man, so I could be completely wrong, right? But if you really watch it, those early Disney movies had no idea what to do with men. Nope. Unless they were fat and good. <laughs> <laughs> They have no idea what to do with a man until like Aladdin. And then Aladdin comes along and that kind of then takes off on the idea of the leading man, right? And you get Tarzan and Hercules and whatever. But like it like literally like like Prince Philip, I think, is the first prince that gets a name. Like before then it was Prince Charming and it was Oh yeah. It's like there's and I'm not saying that it, they should be the focus, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's just interesting to me, this discourse and this feeling that you get from these early Disney films. And it's like, they kind of give the short end of the stick to the men. Like the villains are women and they're fantastic. The villains are fantastic in these early Disney movies. And the princesses are unique. And yes, there's there's some failings as to how they're handled. But like, still, it's just interesting to me. Mm-hmm agreed yeah he i mean like he's like like mark said like philip is he's kind of the first real prince that we see that like actually does something in the movie you know i mean he it's not like it's not like snow white right where the where prince charming just shows up the end to get the kiss right it's he actually goes through and fights the dragon and goes through like the Mm-hmm. You know, the prickly forest, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, <laughs> like, thorns. yeah, uh, my daughter calls them the prickle bushes. So that's, I love that. uh, that's what they are to me, uh, <laughs> from now on forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he does some things and it's fun, but like, I mean, the only, I think the only leading man up to this point that they actually did anything interesting with was Peter Pan. You know, and he was like right. an idiot. <laughs> you know, yeah. we kind of talked about that. If you want to listen to the Peter Pan episode, he's just kind of like, <laughs> you know, full of himself and whatever. And it's like, oh, well, it's a good thing that this story is probably told from Wendy's point of view <laughs> because, uh, you know, and and you think I, when you go back and look at all the movies we've done so far, too, it's like they've all been told from the women's point of view or they're about animals, you know. and. Mm-hmm. I think even though you look back and, you know, this isn't a realistic portrayal of a woman in 2022 or whatever, like, I think you have to give them some credit of telling stories about women to an extent or like making them lead characters to an extent, you know, especially like Alice in Wonderland, right? Like Alice is kind of different, even though like that movie's so weird. I can't (laughs) believe how weird Alice in Wonderland is. I just can't get over it. But like, it's interesting that up to this point, we've really had w- only one and a, I guess one and a half like men actually doing something, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So, uh, women are cool pretty- guys. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Except for this one. Ah, just kidding. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll see myself out now. um that's kind of for characters um now just general impressions of the film general conversations about the movie we could talk about the music if you like it's pretty memorable once upon a dream Mm -hmm. is is very well known yeah this Uh, this music is really memorable to me specifically because they play it a lot at disney world and Fantasyland at magic kingdom and it's like i don't know the i hear once upon a dream all the time and it's just you know it's just kind of like every time you hear it, you just like you know i kind of just sway my head back and forth because i hear not the words but just like the music 
of the song, you know. Um, yeah. And I feel like I feel like some of these songs I kind of have like a weird musical bias towards too because they just it's been background music to my life for 35 years, you know, and uh going to Disney every year and um so yeah, I I guess it, it's it's iconic though, right? Once Upon a Dream is an iconic Disney song, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And speaking of that song, have you heard the Lana Del Rey version from the from Maleficent? Yeah. No. A while ago, I did. I mean, when I saw Maleficent, I heard it. I I think that no song in my opinion, perfectly captures the tone of a film than her cover of that song. Mm-hmm. It is both beautiful and haunting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like uh, slowed down a little bit and like lowered an octave. And like It's like a half octave lower. Like yeah. it's like a, it's like a half. So it's creepy, right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not like a major, it's a minor. And so it's like really just fits the tone of the movie so well. Um, yeah. That, so like the, I think, to me, the pinnacle of Disney music is uh, The Little Mermaid. I think mm-hmm. nothing, oh, nothing yeah. gets better than that from both yeah. a structural standpoint, a melodic standpoint, a lyric standpoint. Like that is just chef's kiss. Um, but I think we're starting to get closer to that. As we mm-hmm. get closer and closer to 89 and The Little Mermaid, we're like Disney's, yeah. Disney's just playing which has also been fun to watch. Like you watch him take elements that work from his different films and combine them together and see, okay, let's take the princess from, from Snow White, but take kind of the side characters from, you know, Alice in Wonderland or Dumbo or whatever. Let's put those together. And then you've got, you know, Sleeping Beauty. And then let's take the, the, the hero from this movie and the heroine from this movie and put those two. And so I think he's just kind of developing his menu that he's going to pick from to develop that Disney formula. Um, but I think the menu items that stand out to continue this clunky analogy that stand out for this movie are the, the, the art style and the real, the beauty with which this film is handled. And then the music, I think the music is really, really, um, really is a character in the story, particularly not only the songs that are like sung, but like even that the 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 piece that's played when she's walking through the castle and getting closer and closer to the spindle. Like it's like that music is like, you know, haunting and, and jarring and really compelling at the same time and makes you want to listen to it. And so it's I think the music in this movie is, is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to go back to your point on the song, on uh, Once Upon a Dream, though, like I like the contrast between this version and the live action version because this one's like, oh, it's a happy ending, right? Like, mm-hmm. and the sa- the song sounds cheerful, but then like in Maleficent, it's like a, it's it's a sad movie, so the song right. needs to sound sad. And I was just kind of thinking about that while you were talking about the music, and it just, I don't know. Thought I could contribute a sentence to that. Make I want to sound like Mark. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that should be a goal. <laughs> it is. It's my goal in life. Mark two. Yeah, you are the most eloquent of all of us. I've been like stumbling through this pretty horribly today. Um, I want to do a quick side tangent, but just because what you said, Mark, reminded me of it is, and it's not like a true analysis, but when you're talking about the scene where Aurora is like on her way up to the spindle in the castle, taught me an indirect parent life lesson. You could burn all the spindles in the world, Mm -hmm. but your kid's still going to find that damn spindle. Meaning you could do everything in your power to make sure your kid doesn't do X or Y or Z but ultimately you're not in control. If it happens, it happens. Right. I don't know. Which to take that lesson even further and not to try to find something in like a lesson or whatever, but like if they just would have been like, Hey, listen, this witch came to the party and she cursed you. And she said, you're going to touch the spindle of a spindle before you turn 16 and you're going to die. Just don't touch one. If you see one, don't do it. Do you want to live? Great. Don't touch it. If they would have done that, movie <laughs> over. Like she wouldn't have done it. But the green but light. Because 
he tried to well okay so maybe she was like maybe like hypnotized or whatever but like i'm being a little silly but like the the he, they tried to protect her as parents do right you try to protect your kids and so you try to like take the decision making out of their hands and protect them when like maybe sometimes invite them into the decision making process and like let them be the the kind of driver of their life a little bit and so include them in the process and maybe you'd avoid a whole lot of things so i i, I think that's interesting that you said that because I think that's a that's a good lesson for parents or really anyone to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We didn't even touch upon the fact that you know the parents made these decisions uh, to burn all the spindles, which that makes it well. I mean, still kind of extreme, but you know, fine, makes sense. But then they they agreed, like, okay, we'll send our daughter to live with these three fairies who vowed to not use magic at all until like the sixteen years have passed. Um, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what, what, like if you're the parent in the situation, you'll do whatever it takes to keep your kids safe. But at the same time, you're right. Like maybe just educating your kid and being, you know, allowing them in the, in the decision-making process would be the smartest thing. But then, like you said, you wouldn't have this story. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. also, I mean, how many movies oh. though, if you just told somebody something, the movie would be, oh, over, yeah. you know, yeah, yes. Like, like that, you know? You give Kevin a cell phone at home alone. He calls his parents. Like done. There's no yeah. movie, right? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, even even if he just called the police, like taught right. taught him basic, right. like, hey, uh, if you find yourself in a scary situation, call the police. <laughs> you know, right? Well, um, I was gonna say. Also, Princess Aura is actually pretty strong mentally. She when she found out, well, did she could, wait? Did she did she know she was a princess this entire time? I'm now starting to second guess myself. No, she so. didn't. I don't think she did. Okay, so like imagine being 16 and then all of a sudden finding out like, hey, you're a princess and you were sent to live with this fake family. Like most people would probably have a breakdown or get really pissed or something. She handled it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to psychologically break down this movie, but it really made me think about it. Like, I don't know how I would have handled that revelation. I don't think I could have handled it. Right. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, I'm sure, is a lot of people's, uh, is the dragon fight. Um, I forgot that the fairies, until I rewatched it, provided him with that. You know, the the sword and the shield. I think they had like certain um, virtues attributed to that pretty mm -hmm. traditional, you know, but uh, I just love the color scheme and the animation. It's just permanently seared into my memory. Uh, my son thought that scene was pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's not to love? Like he got a big yeah. dragon. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that, that scene though is super cool. Like I really like the way the scene looks. Like with mm -hmm. the greens and the purples and the fire and like, man, it's so cool. And the dragon is super iconic. Like it's yeah. it, again, it's just like it. It's one of those iconic scenes and it doesn't last very long, but it's definitely, you know, when you think of these older movies, it's definitely one of the scenes you think of is is this. And I don't know. I just I really love I really love the aesthetic and the way the fight looks and how artistic it looks, you know, yeah. and how big the dragon is too. Oh yeah. Ma like massive in scale. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, we, we go back to this talk about like what makes an iconic Disney villain. And it's like the, the stakes are very high. Like there's no, there's no redeeming qualities to Maleficent in this movie. And so there's no question that she will kill the mm -hmm. prince and Aurora and whoever she has to kill, right? And so there's no like last minute Hail Mary. There's no, there's no, you know, reasoning or whatever. And so like at any moment, like this could go poorly for them. 
And I think that's what makes it so compelling and so interesting. And I think one of the trends in modern days, in modern day movies is to make the villain sympathetic and to try to see things from the villain's standpoint, which is, I think was one of the weaknesses of the live action movie. Um, and it, then, it, then it just, sometimes it's just nice to have a villain, like just a, I want to screw things up just to screw things Bad up. Bad to the right? bone. And so, yeah. And that's, that's what makes that scene so thrilling. Like, you know, Sleeping Beauty is going to make it, but you don't know that the prince is going to make it. You don't know what's going to happen. And so it's, it's really a, a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think, uh, we pretty much talked about everything we wanted to talk about content-wise for Sleeping Beauty. Any last kind of comments to close it out before we do our definitive ranking? Um, I I mean I I like this movie because I mean my daughter likes the movie. I I I don't think it's really the best movie we watched so far, but like I just really like it because my kid gets really into it, and that is exciting. <laughs> so. I feel like the more we've talked about this movie, the more I'm like, this movie's really good. Yeah. When I was watching it, I don't know, I just, I come away being like, it's, it's kind of boring. But as as we're talking about it, I'm like, no, this movie's great. So I'm interested to see what I say when we bring it. All right. Uh, well, let's get right to it. Our current definitive ranking at the top, number one, Cinderella. Number two, Pinocchio. Number three, Bambi. Number four, Peter Pan. Number five, Snow White. Number six, Alice in Wonderland. Number seven, Lady and the Tramp. And unfortunately, at the bottom sits sad <laughs> little Dumbo. Mm, Dumbo. Mm. So. Oh, man, I'm really struggling with this because like this ranking is so upside down for, or not upside down, but just like a lot of it is backwards from what I would do myself. Uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. I'd probably put it somewhere in the middle. I will tell you, see, I hmm, if I look just at Peter Pan, which is number four out of eight, mm -hmm. I would rank it higher than Peter Pan. 100% I agree with that. Yeah. I would rank it higher than Peter Pan, but I would put it below Snow White is the problem. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. So, yeah, I, I I agree also with that. But it's de I it's I think it's better than I think it's better than Peter Pan though. Should we we can, hey, there's like no rules. This is our podcast. Should we just swap Peter Pan and Snow White cuz I just I don't know what we were thinking, but because Peter Pan has Captain Hook and pirates and okay, okay. obnoxious Peter Pan and s some sort of weird sexual fairy going on. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I would not be against swapping Peter Pan and Snow White, although I think I'm the reason Snow White is where it is. I think you, um, I think I, you are I, too, I actually. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I was the one who said to put it there. Uh, well, do, do we want to swap them? Go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So we're going to swap them. Right. And then we're going to put Sleeping Beauty under Snow White. Is that what we decided? And above Peter Pan? Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I agree with you, Corey. I'm, I'm kind of like my own personal preference like i would rank snow white i'd rank snow white higher than bambi but i don't know that i would rank it higher than snow white so i guess based on this list i would put it between peter pan and snow white i i think that's where i'm sitting i know i don't know why i'm thinking like oh why is bambi so high white? mark <laughs> I don't know. I also feel like that was my fault. It um, is your fault. It's 100% your fault. I know. I feel like I steamroll the conversation every time. Um, oh. I think it was um, you. We put Bambi so high just because of like the art direction. Mm -hmm. Just sure. how beautiful it was. Well, I'll tell you um, one thing. Like I, I, it's, I don't think it compares to Cinderella, obviously. 
Um, okay. Pinocchio, fine. But yeah, it just comes down to whether it's above or below Bambi slash Snow White for me. Is it? Okay, so first thought, better than Bambi. In my opinion? Yeah. In my opinion, yes, but. I, I think so, yes. Okay. Oh, okay. So are we are we putting it between Bambi and Pinocchio? Is that what is that the thought? Is it better than Pinocchio? I I think it's better than Pinocchio. I, Why is Pinocchio you so do? high? You think, you think you think I think as a whole Pinocchio is pretty consistent. Yeah. I think that there are some parts of what I keep on coming down to is what's difficult for me to place this movie is I, I kept finding myself being like, how long is this movie? Like it, it, it felt just a little bit like a chore to watch. Um, and I watched it with my five-year-old twins and they kind of felt the same way. Um, but every time I looked at the TV, it was really compelling movie, right? It's a very beautiful movie. So I, I feel like this is the Bambi conundrum where like, it's a very right. beautiful movie, but like, if you're always checking to see how much time is left or if you feel like it's a chore, you know, but like it's it, the movie is so striking. I get I guess I guess just like gut opinion, I would put it between Pinocchio and Bambi. I second that. OK, I will agree to that. Sleeping Beauty. All right, there's our new definitive ranking, even though we swapped Snow White and Peter Pan. Yeah, so it's not really definitive. Yeah, we well, keep changing well, it each time. No, that we're just this is a one time thing. Here's here's the Mark thing. It's words. definitive when we're done. That's yeah. right. That's right. There you go. Actually, because I'm kind of skimming this list of Disney movies we've done so far, if we want to do a quick villain definitive ranking i bet you we can get that done pretty quickly because cinderella's villain is the the witch queen wicked Step queen on. wicked cinderella is the oh no no sorry i'm thinking of snow white oh my gosh right. my brain's backwards uh cinderella was the stepmother stepmother right uh cinderella now i don't know if i would say pinocchio necessarily had a true bad guy like i know there was stromboli and the fox guy. I would say it's it's the I would say it's the fox and the cat. Uh, Honest John. Yeah, Honest right. John. Because okay. he's kind of the one that kicked all this off, and he's the one that keeps getting him to do things. I mean, if you really want to be annoying, you could say that Pinocchio was the villain of his own movie. Oh. Oh, getting meta. All right, Sleeping Beauty is Maleficent. Right. Easy. Maleficent. Uh, Snow White, uh, Bambi, like man, mm -hmm. but right. like, do we? Okay, Hunter. <laughs> uh, Peter Pan is Captain Hook. Yep. Alice in Wonderland. I don't really think had a villain. The Queen of Hearts. I would say. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Queen of Hearts. Yeah, yeah. I, agree. <laughs> I love how you went to drugs first. <laughs> <laughs> Both the villain and the hero of that movie. <laughs> Who uh, of your uh, experience or the movie's experience? Both. <laughs> oh, Lady and the Tramp. Uh, was it the the Tramp oh. is the villain? I just blocked that movie from my mind. I, I mean, okay. If you also want to be annoyed to this one, you could argue the villain of that movie is the baby. That's what sets everything into motion. Stupid baby. <laughs> yeah, which is how we started this podcast. Yeah. It's <laughs> true. Although he's asleep. <laughs> Yes, he has not made a peep since you had that celebration. I don't, I don't think there's a real villain. Yeah. The How about Dumbo? I don't think so either. Okay. So that being said, we've got stepmother. Dumbo, I would say this: the ringmaster is, or the people that run the circus. They're very mean to those animals and the sure. faceless people. Well, if we like, <laughs> the artists are the villains of that movie. That movie was ugly. They <laughs> had. No faces on people, which was not great. Uh, well, it depends, right? Like, do we really want Man or Hunter to be the villain in Bambi? Like, I, I just feel like those movies don't really have a particular villain yeah. villain. Well, AFI, that that list of 100 villains, 100 uh -huh. heroes. Yeah. Man is like number 
like some like the early teens of the villain. Okay, fine. From, from Bambi. Okay. All right. Well. Um, Just to be super annoying. Okay. No, so you're not. You're the, keeping us honest. So the only movie that doesn't really have a villain is uh, Lady and the Tramp, right? And Alice that... in Wonderland. No, the Queen of Hearts. Queen of Hearts. Oh, sorry. I keep doing that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, and I. What? <laughs> I'm hmm. having a bad night. Sorry. We have a villain for Dumbo or not? Are we doing circus people? No. That works for me. Circus oh, no. people. Circus. Circus I'm, I'm... people. I mean, circus people is a bit of a stretch, but I'm fine with it. No, I, I, I just only threw it out there. I don't think they should have a villain in there. So, all right. And so. let's see, Lady and the Tramp. I'm looking up the villain in Lady and the Tramp. It says the rat is the villain. All right, I don't even remember that, so I don't care. Also, the Siamese <laughs> cats are also considered villains. Nope, I don't want to go down that path. Racism sounds like a villain of a lot of these early movies. Yes, exactly. Racism villain. <laughs> okay, so okay, so out of the villains, I have Wicked Queen, step, uh, Wicked Queen, uh, stepmother, Honest John, Maleficent, Hunter slash Man, Captain Hook, and the Queen of Hearts. Those are yep. the villains. So, in my opinion, the top one for me would be Stepmother than Maleficent. And I know we just praised Maleficent so much. But Stepmother is just so rotten to the core in a real life. Like, you, you can imagine someone in real life being this horrible. But so this I, the argument between who is the worst villain in Harry Potter, Voldemort or Professor Umbridge... Umbridge. And I think any day it's Umbridge over Voldemort because Umbridge is real and Voldemort is not. And so I agree with you. Stepmother is a lot more evil than Maleficent because Stepmother's real. <laughs> so Stepmother from Cinderella, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Yep. And then who? I'd say uh, Evil Queen from Snow White. Evil Queen? I'm between that and... I'm trying to figure out Captain Hook's motives. He's just... He's just an idiot bad guy pirate guy. He's True. cool. He's a cool villain, but he's not like... He's not he's scary like the other ones, right. you know? Right. True. All right. I agree Which uh, Evil Queen. And then... I don't know. I guess from a poetic standpoint, I guess man or hunter should be kind of up there, right? Because that's kind of... Sure. Uh, hunter from Bambi. And then the bottom of the rung would be Honest John, Captain Hook, or Queen of Hearts. So let's think. Honest John just wants to make money. Captain Hook is funny. Queen of Hearts, she's just selfish. I would, I would go Captain Hook, Queen of Hearts, and Honest John in that order. Oh, I like that. I agree with that. All right, Honest perfect. John's just kind of an idiot that right. he's not, you know, he's not really like threatening. He's just a con artist. Right. All right. Whoops. I think that's not what I wanted. So stepmother Cinderella. Oh, go ahead. I don't want to steal your thunder. Oh, no, you go ahead. I'm just I'm typing it out uh, as I go. So. So top villains are new definitive ranking for villains uh, other than racism. Uh, Stepmother from Cinderella, number one, followed by Maleficent, a close second, followed by Evil or Witch Queen, Snow White, followed by Manhunter from Bambi at number four, number five, Captain Hook, number six, Queen of Hearts, number seven, Honest John. Yep. There we have it. Thank you for taking this uh, journey with me, friends. Um, took me a while to get back into the swing of things here uh thank you listeners for joining us uh as we wrap up um mark why don't you tell people where they can find you uh yeah you can find me on twitter except in Pereira, and you can also find me on boss rush um where yep and you can also sorry totally had a, a brain fart there um and you can also find me on uh, standard definition doing this uh, version with Disney animation and then occasionally <laughs> which we need to schedule the um which I, I know is totally my fault the MCU uh, version of uh, standard definition. 
All right. And Corey, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at I am Corey NHD on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on the Boss Rush podcast, Nintendo Power Block, Expansion Pass, and other things here on the Boss Rush Network. Excellent. You guys can find me on the internets at Klimov underscore author on Twitter and Instagram. Wednesday nights uh, live with the Boss Rush podcast and also on After Dark. Thank you, everyone, uh, for sitting with us to talk about uh, Sleeping Beauty, and we'll see you next time. Um, looking ahead, the next movie we'll be talking about, uh, with, at least in the Disney uh, arm of things, would be 101 Dalmatians. Good night, everybody. Good night.